0: Hey guys, I'm Danny.
1: And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast.
0: Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family from the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Your Living Proof Podcast. My wife can't hear that, but they have wow. this little. I don't wear headphones. She doesn't, so I hear the board, and there's like this board with these like uh, what do you call those? sound like, effects? Sound effects. It's so fun. I was like, what oh. sound effect did you
1: do? Oh. All
0: right. Wow. Sorry.
1: ADHD is a big. No, but deal. that's so
0: exciting. We all wish we had a, a sound board, a professional sound yeah. board that had sound effects. Actually, I wish we had one when we were talking or arguing, right? Like yeah. if we're having a serious debate in our I house. I would just
1: like bleep you out
0: every time you're just like, hey, Danny. I'll be like.
1: What was it? Just
0: kidding. It was an air horn. I would probably get
1: oh, yeah. punched
0: if I did that.
1: For sure you would. Yeah.
0: You guys, we're so happy to be back. It's another episode of the Your Living Proof podcast. This is number 72. Yes. That's pretty awesome.
1: Yep. We've we're in a new a year.
0: Yeah, we're in a new year.
1: 2024 is started off with a bang.
0: Yeah, it did. We, we've been living in this almost like <laughs> delusional psychosis of suffering for a little while. Yes. Our family... Got the sickness, like the plague, it felt like. I swear we had COVID in our house. We had the stomach bug in our house. And it's yeah. like it went through. And before it got out of the last person, the next one started.
1: Yeah. It was just like this continual round of somebody not feeling good or many people not feeling good all at the same time. Yeah. Overlapping. Like it just was relentless. There
0: was just at least, it almost feels like for the last month, there was someone always Sick. uncomfortable. Yeah. Miserable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which this is why ho- winter is the worst.
0: Yeah. It is. And where we worst. live. Where we live, we got spoiled in December. It's usually terrible. It was actually pretty nice. Our kids played outside almost all the way up till Christmas. But now it's set in.
1: Yeah. Like, now it's getting real. It's like, just kidding. It is winter, guys. You're gonna suffer for many more months. So buckle up.
0: Yep, yeah, just to like go to Make the grocery store or into the gym, you have to run, put your hood up because the wind's blowing and snow sideways hitting your face. It's frozen outside.
1: My thing is that like the the interior of my car is like covered in this layer of like salt, slush, snow that's like dried, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of exciting. And it's to hard look down. to clean out. Yeah, you can't. You can't.
0: Yeah, and your shoes are always dirty. Your car is always dirty. So here we go. This is the true test of your mental health.
1: Yeah, right now. Your we're
0: emotional in it. stability. We're in it. Yeah. But we're grateful to be back with you guys today. We'll stop talking about us. Again, this podcast is meant to be a platform for those who are affected by someone in addiction, whether it be your spouse, your child, your nephew, your grandson, whoever. We know that you want to help them. We know that you've tried. Believe it or not, you've probably tried everything. Yeah. So we hope that throughout this show and our program, what we do, we'll give you a few tools to do this differently to approach things differently to see this differently so that you can maybe start having more of an impact or a better effect on this person that you love. And if you can't, then you can see it clearly so that you can re- regain some sanity in your life.
1: Yeah. So and today our topic is one that I actually kind of suggested to Danny because it affects so many people.
0: Yeah, and we've she's talked about it for a while and and then what happened is just recently someone One of the women in the Living Proof community in one of our group calls said it in a way Mm -hmm. that just like, I don't know. I've heard it stated and expressed by several other people, but the way she said it, and maybe it was just the timing, was so powerful. So I'm going to just share what she said. We were talking about her loved one in addiction, which was her spouse, and the, the roller coaster ride she'd been on. And there's a lot of good reasons for her to be angry and upset. But what she said, I'm going to tell you guys what hurts the most. What really hurts me the most is that I don't feel like I was chosen. And there was just like this deafening silence after she said that.
1: So raw and so real.
0: That yes, there's all these things, right? Financial implications, health implications, other, just so much drama surrounding these situations. But she, what hurt the most is she didn't feel like she was chosen. That he chose something else.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today we're really going to dive into that. So if you are that person, that loving spouse, standing on the other side um, of that addicted husband or or wife. Um,
0: yeah, we're going to go through it, and we're going to. We want to go through it. Not only to help you understand that. Why you're justified feeling that way, but also like the steps forward to get out. of yes, it. Yes, exactly. Before we move on, though, any of you who know the word doily? Are you old enough to know what a doily is?
1: No one has doilies.
0: Listen, so when she said that, it reminded me of something. And I don't know if I heard this or if I saw it. I swear I saw it on a doily, I think at your mom's house or no, something. No, My
1: mom doesn't have doilies. Or anything like embroidered sayings oh on pillows. Oh my gosh, so maybe
0: it was at my grandma's house and your mom said it to me. I don't know. But there's this phrase that says, every man wants to feel needed, every woman wants to feel cherished. Yes. A.K.A. chosen. Yes. So I swear I saw it on a doily. I used to laugh. Doilies, I'm going to
1: make, you know what guys, I'm going to make one. Doilies. I'm going to make one for Danny.
0: They're the weirdest thing. My grandma used to have doilies. Actually, my mom did, I think when I was little. Like I doubt over it. Over the armrest on the side of the couch was a doily. I feel
1: Like that was way before your mom. But anyway, Oh, my
0: gosh! But think about it—they were amazing. They would just—they sold these like crazy things, and then they had this funny name, doily. I don't know why that is such a weird. Say it three times. doily. No, but doily. somebody
1: <laughs> send me like a how-to on how to make one because I've got to make Danny one. He's missing it. In That's his what life. I want for
0: my birthday. I want good lovin' and a doily. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. Everyone who loves someone, especially a spouse, feels like I wasn't chosen once their loved one becomes captive to this thing.
1: It's true. And I I wanna I wanna say something because I think a lot of people see Danny and I's story as the success story where I was I was chosen, right? Like where he overcame something and chose to make a life with me. And that that's actually really, really true. I mean, in, in a sense. Although, you know, you were early, you were already sober when I met you, but you were not recovered. I would say you were sober, but not recovered. Fair. Um. But before I met Danny, I had been married before, and I do know that feeling. I So I can relate to both <laughs> people. I can relate to the people that are, Staying in this relationship where someone is healing and and actively recovering, which which is is hard, which is very hard, very, very hard. And I also can relate deeply to those who whose relationship was completely severed and who feel this deep ache of not being chosen Um. I wish that I couldn't relate to both. It kind of sucks that I can, um, but I but I can. And so when Danny was talking to me about you know what this this woman in group said, I was like, oh, I I get it. And it was funny. It actually kind of took me back on this like journey. Um, and you know how like certain songs can like re- recall like make your memory just like go into like hyper mode. I. Remembered this song from Sarah Bareilles. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but um, it's called Gravity. And I remember listening to that song over and over again when I was in that deep ache feeling of um, not being chosen. And I just so I want to read the words to you. So if you're this person, you're going to really relate to the song. And it says, it says, something always brings me back to you. It never takes too long. No matter what I say or do, I'll still feel you here till the moment I'm gone. You hold me without touch. You keep me without chains. I never wanted anything so much than to drown in your love. And to not feel your rain. Set me free, leave me be. I don't want to fall another moment into your gravity. Here I am, and I stand so tall, just the way I'm supposed to be. But you're on to me and all over me. You loved me because I'm fragile when I thought that I was strong, but you touched me for a little while, and all my fragile strength is gone. And I just, I, I want, I'm, I'm being vulnerable about this because I feel like it's so important for you, if you're out there listening to this, to know that you're not alone in that. And how real that is, how real that feeling of being kept without chains because of your loyalty and love for another person who is not reciprocating it. Um, and that is really, I, I don't like to use this term, but it's like the only one that makes sense to me. It's kind of like this mind F, (laughs) um, because you actually can see it for what it is and you are mad at yourself for wanting someone that is so broken to love you, but you can't not want it. And on top of it, it hurts deeply to know that your love is so um, so loyal and so uncompromising that you are actually willing to be drugged through the mud on your face over and over again for someone. But they are so unwilling to do that for you. It's like, you know, you would walk a million miles with them on your back, but they can't even walk you down the street without dropping you. And there's something about that, that kind of traps you (sighs) as a woman. And there's something about that, that rattles you into a place that's so deep to your core that it's difficult to even articulate or understand yourself, especially when you're in the middle of it. Um, and nothing does that to a woman or or a man more than addiction does because you are you are being kept without chains
0: i appreciate you <clears throat> i didn't know you were going to do that sorry i mean i'm i'm just like a big baby I, I just go deep all the time but
1: i don't because i don't like to cry
0: she doesn't like to cry she says it's a waste of time it's exhausting But thank you for sharing that, and it's true. You have felt that deep pain and what it does. I'm glad you said it at the end because what I want to talk about, the transition here, is those situations, even if it's not related to addiction, are just devastating. Mm
1: -hmm. But when
0: they are, what happens? So here's where I kind of hope you can listen in, and I hope that I can articulate what I'm trying to say because this is based upon the experience of working with so many people and seeing the same story happen. When you don't feel chosen, it hurts, rightfully so, Without a doubt. But when you stay in that, when it takes over and it consumes you, let me tell you the two things that happen. It holds you hostage and eventually makes like you sick, but it fuels their addiction. It fuels the disease in the brain. And hear me out.
1: Yeah, I, I want I, you to dive into that. When
0: I start talking about it, I, everybody at first has a lot of pushback. And I wrote some notes down so I don't go off on a tangent. The very nature of addiction removes your partner's ability to choose. I know for most people, great, good, educated people, that sounds like a cop-out.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: Especially. I know that it's not, but it does sound like it. Especially when it's your spouse. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a cop-out. So let me explain. When you come to believe this right here, it's not going to solve your problems but it's going to help you start getting it's going to help you start on the journey of getting healthier and getting out of this what a lot of women call in our group a special kind of hell. Mhm. Or not in hell, you're in a special kind of hell. Yeah. So there's a great debate that's been going on for a long time, even today, even with all of the brain studies and scientific evidence that we have about the effects that addiction has on a brain. I mean, there's so many brain studies that show it, right? There's still this debate, right? Is this a moral breakdown or a disease? I'm a simple man, so here's my response. Who cares? Who cares which one it is? If that is a hard concept for you to overcome, be like, well, no, they're still responsible. Like they they are they've made these choices, they're doing this stuff. Your loved one, in the beginning, made poor choices for whatever reason. We always say that if a person a person either entered addiction because of trauma or they found it along the way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But in the beginning, poor choices were made. In the beginning, whenever that was, weeks ago, months ago, and for most people, years ago, your loved one did things they should not have done. They still, at that point, had the ability to, to choose. But they didn't. Why? Because they found something that made them feel amazing. They found yeah. something that gave them what nothing else could. And so they kept doing it. Over time, porn, cocaine, alcohol, marijuana, abusing prescription medication, those things are now proven and it shows that it rewires the way a person thinks. In that process, they lose their ability to choose.
1: And you know what? I'm actually really, really glad you said that because, and I'm sorry to interrupt because I know you have more to say, but... Love is not a feeling. It's an ability. Mm. And when you love someone who is addicted, they don't have the ability to to love you. They don't.
0: So I know it can feel like a cop-out, and I want to reiterate on that point. <clears throat> the very starting point for sometimes when you're a spouse and, and it's your partner who's in addiction, like it without a doubt hurts. But one of the key takeaways is is when you understand this concept, right? Like, even if you don't want to dive deep into the whole disease aspect of addiction and you're just still mad and you just want to choke this person because they failed you.
1: Mm -hmm. Call me.
0: (laughs) And they continue to fail you. Please hear me out. If you can buy into this, then what you do is you separate the disease from the person. If you want to be mad at something, I always tell people if you want to be mad or pissed off, be mad at the disease that now is taking over your loved one.
1: You guys, this is so so critical this point that you are making. It is it's life or death. Yeah. For you, not for them.
0: When you separate it, you're not justifying their behavior cuz everybody knows there's what they're still doing is wrong. I don't care if you're completely prisoner to a, a chemical solution and you get arrested, you're still getting arrested. Yeah. If you still destroy whatever part of your life you do, you still destroy it. But separating the person from the illness gives you, like you used this word earlier, permission to stop blaming yourself, Mm -hmm. to stop feeling guilty that you could have or should have done something different, to stop thinking, oh, maybe it's me. Yeah. It gives you permission to go, this person is sick. Okay. I don't care if you excuse their behavior, but it allows you to separate yourself from the insanity and start thinking, oh, what? I'm here, I matter.
1: yeah, uh, i i I can't agree with this more, and I think it's so, so critical for anyone out there listening to to be able to get to this point eventually. I recognize that it is a journey and that it's hard and it won't come overnight. But um, I actually want to read you guys something else. Um, this is this is actually a letter that a woman wrote to her husband. Um, And uh, that was addicted. And what she wrote helped me make this click. Right. Like it really does help you see exactly what you're saying is that you have to separate um, the person and the addiction. So I'm going to read this and I'll I'll put it in the show notes like I'll link it so you can get the full thing because I'm only reading part of it. But it says, see, I loved Ryan. I fought for Ryan. I held on for Ryan, the Ryan who ever so briefly made appearances and reminded me of the man underneath the addict who lies, cheats, steals and disappears, who is selfish and moody and disconnected, who always chooses drugs. See, I hate the man who chose drugs over me, over his son, over our family, the drug addict who slowly consumed the person that I loved and refused to give him back. The unrecognizable person you have become. Mourning the loss of someone who is still alive seems like a waste of time. But when I see you, I don't see Ryan anymore. I see the monster underneath, the shell of a once beautiful person who lost it all to his demons. Because you are my person, you are my best friend and the man I thought I would spend the rest of my life with. There was never a doubt in my mind you were the love of my life. What we could what we had could have been great. It could have been the love they write poems about in poems and songs. It could have been forever. It should have been forever. But I can't keep holding on to a man who isn't there. A man who doesn't even care about himself. A man who only cares About his next hit, his next fix, his next binge. A man consumed by a monster, a a man that I cannot fix and that I shouldn't have to. Despite my desperate pleas to save you from yourself, I watched you fade away and disappear. Helpless, hopeless, faithless. I stayed for so long because I always believed in you and in us. I saw your past and your pain and your misery, and I wanted to give you an escape. One that didn't involve shooting up, one that you could, that you always wanted but could never find. I wanted to show you that you could be happy and that you deserved to be happy. Maybe I failed you. Maybe I was never enough or what you really needed. Maybe I only made things worse, but I loved you. And even now as I choose to walk away, I do so with a heavy heart and incredible sadness. So I just love how she articulated the pain of it, but the reality that he, she was truly mourning someone who was still alive.
0: Yeah, when you said that part, it hit me because I've heard that out of the mouth of many people. It feels like they're mourning the the death of a person they love who's still alive. And they are. They are. Let me just, that was so powerful. Gosh, your voice, that captivates me. But let me remind you what we're here to try to do. We're here to try to give them their best chance. Mm-hmm. We know that you getting healthy, seeing things clearly, getting some tools, getting some support, allows you to be the greatest resource to them. We're going to, we need to give them the best chance. We want that ending of the story to be a happy one for you. Yes. But whether it is or whether it isn't is for you to be able to see things for what it is and stop buying into this notion that somehow you are responsible for this. Right. That is the one that's really hard for a lot of people. There's a, there's a woman in our group. There's lots of them, but when I describe her, probably sound like most of them, but a specific woman who's super beautiful, very just articulate, professional, successful, has a business whose husband is just off in la-la land. This brilliant woman has to continually dig her heels in with her own recovery in the support groups, doing all the program that she has to to not fall back into this ridiculous notion that she could have done something, or if she was more or she was different,
1: yeah, and I think that's the huge the huge part is you're you're automatically put into this place where you become unlovable or undesirable or you need to change something about yourself, and that would change the actions of this other person and that is just a flat out wrong that it's false it everything about it is false it's literally like you're a pitcher of water pouring into a cup with a hole in it and you're blaming the pitcher for not being able to fill up the cup Yeah, that's not not it it's not it
0: well I I gotta go back on something that I mentioned we're gonna talk about how this like holds you hostage but how it fuels their addiction yes
1: it's so important some people
0: might think well who cares about them right now they're a wreck they've ruined my life as a recovering drug alcohol sex addict let me just tell you when I say sex, that's the real word. Like when you have an addiction to pornography, that's the real word. People are like, oh, well, it's not a real person. That's, that's the real word. So it's accountability. As someone who's been there, your dysfunction and your weakness that my illness taught you and forced you into is what it preys on. Whether you're my mom, my dad, my wife, my illness has beaten you down, and guess what? Your bro- your broken state now, or your weakened state, is where my illness thrives. Because then I can put you where I need you. I can use you. I can manipulate you. I can blame you, and all of that just feeds my ability to get high. It rationalizes it, justifies it, does all those things.
1: What Danny just said it might be the most important thing you'll you'll hear this year if you love an addict. It,
0: So go all the way back. This person, you're talking about a person. They've done all these horrible, terrible things, beating you up. And now I'm sitting there saying you need to separate the illness from the person. I know you probably just want to like click and go listen to their music and be like, no, I'm mad at them. You separate the illness from the person so that you can start taking steps to get healthy. You can stop fixating on how they have failed you. They're sick. They did fail you, but they're sick. -hmm. Nothing's going to change. You need to go get healthy. And by doing that, you escape this special kind of hell and you give them their best chance. That's how you speak to the illness of addiction. You can't cry to it. You can't scream at it. You can't threaten it. When you start to get healthy, that is what the illness caused by addiction in a person's brain notices. Oh, shoot. Mm
1: -hmm. They're changing.
0: Meanwhile, a normal person's like, oh my gosh, I've been screaming this in your ear for a year, a thousand different ways. You just now heard it. Yeah. yeah? Because they're sick. Yeah. And I want to talk real quick about how the world will fail you. Every good man or woman out there, if your spouse is deep in their addiction and beating you up through it, the world will fail you. I'm sorry because addiction doesn't play by the rules. Therefore, all these forms of support in your life, they fall victim to this terrible thing that doesn't follow the rules too. Your parents, maybe your parents or his parents are just like, oh, you know, you need to be a little more supportive. Or maybe if you would have done this or, you know, they look at it differently. Why? Because they are held captive as well by their own things. Yeah. You might have a priest or a bishop or someone in your life who's like, oh, you know what? You need to love them more. Mm
1: -hmm. Are they
0: wrong or bad? No, they're just, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to tell you, you just need to love more and be more supportive. Yeah. Love them through this. It may get to the point where your life's ruined and the courts fail you. The system fails you. Like friends, people in your life are telling you things where you just need to be there more for them, that you just need to, the system will fail you. The world will fail you. The person you love is gone. They are sick. So when you separate the illness from the person, then we stop fixating on this person who cannot course correct on their own. The world thinks that the world thinks, oh, well, oh, as soon as this is over, as soon as winter's over, as soon as COVID's over, as soon as they get a new job, as soon as you get into a new house, they're going to be better. No, this person is sick. Start looking at it that way so you stop blaming yourself and start taking. What I want to talk about is how do men or women in these situations, how do they start to heal? Yeah. What are the steps out of this?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's so critical to do this. (laughs) <laughs> by the way, because...
0: And none of them want to.
1: I, I was going to say, it, it It actually feels quite comfortable to sit there and feel very justified and just being angry about it. Yep. Because there's a lot to be angry about.
0: And I've, I've watched this transformation. I just want to say that. Who cares what I say or think? I've watched this transformation by women who are still in hellish, is that a word? Hellish yeah. situations. Today it is. I love making up my own words. They're in these terrible situations, but they start, they're they're changing. Yeah. Okay? And it's because they do what? They've joined a program of their own. They've found support group for themselves. Yep. They are in their own recovery from what? They're not in recovery from drugs and alcohol.
1: No, from codependency.
0: The drug of codependency. And listen, there are books written about this. I'm a simple man. And to simplify this for you, codependency is relationship addiction. Good and bad. Like you need them to be good in order to make you feel good. Or them being bad does affect you, whatever. It's relationship addiction. Mm -hmm. that is your drug. So it's really backwards because people are like, well, I'm not the addict. I don't need to go to a program. I don't need to get support. I don't need to have a sponsor. Oh, but you
1: do. You do. And you need all of it.
0: And it changes. So I've watched these women. And some of them, here's what happens. They do this. One of two things happens. One, they change. And their behavior now speaks to their addicted loved one's illness in a way that they've tried. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. They've tried for yeah. so long. Now it speaks to them. And their loved one's like, oh. And usually it'll force their loved one to getting the help they need.
1: Right. Right.
0: Doesn't always end that way, just for full, full honesty. But even if their love on is not choosing stays in their addiction and stays in their dysfunction, this person starts to get healthy. Yeah. On their own. And so things change. The environment changes in their home. Yes, is their problem still there? Yep. It's like this pile of poop in the side of your house that no one wants to touch or deal with, but everyone can smell it and see it. Still there. But you're getting healthy yeah. because you're doing things for you. Right. And a lot of that stems from you finally separating the person from the illness and being like, you know what? I, I've gotten sick along the way too, and I'm gonna go get I'm gonna go get some help.
1: Yeah. And everything that you're saying is just so critical. And it's actually why we created our new program the way we have. Yeah. Which is yes, you are gonna help them because they need help, but we have these weekly support groups because you need help. You need to heal. And healing takes time it takes a support. ton of effort it takes support it takes it it takes a powerful group of women who can relate to the feelings that you have being able to not just sit with you in it but help you move past it because you can you you can and it's so so important and it it can be overcome i i i myself have done a lot of work to heal from some of the wounds that i've had but it it was hard fought um and it took a significant amount of effort to do it but no greater work right like it it changes your perspective it changes your responses to things it sets you free from those invisible chains that you've been in um I wanted to read a quote from one of my favorite authors named Adam Miller, and he says, "Love is not the kind of thing you can get; it's the kind of thing you can do." And um,
0: actionable, right?
1: And you are obviously really good at loving because you've given and given and given and given. But in this scenario, um, and I hate like all like the self love, like kind of I think we can get carried away with that. But in this scenario, you really truly do need to choose yourself. And make yourself a priority in terms of healing those wounds that have been gaping open for so long.
0: And it's twofold, though, right? Like, I just have one thing left to say, and I want you to finish with our, our favorite part. But you getting healthy gives them their best chance. That's
1: the kicker, is when you get healthy, then you can actually offer them something that they need. Right, and, and
0: you you are ready now and getting healthier to be able to support them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the goal is to, to be most effective at helping them. But if things don't work out, you have to move on. You do. Wouldn't it be nice by doing this that you set yourself free from the special kind of hell and you know moving forward that there's nothing else you could have or should have done differently? Yep. You did it.
1: You did it.
0: And now even if it's a tough pill to swallow, that's a different scenario
1: absolutely but
0: i just hate i hate that addiction not only gets one person sick but it just destroys the family core
1: well satan's so smart because he just he 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 wants to take everyone down so families are perfect it's like. his
0: greatest weapon and you know we've said it a million times the greatest threat in the world to addiction is a family who effectively learns how to intervene and support a full program recovery and those that get healthy along the way man, they're unstoppable they're unstoppable
1: They really are. So I'm going to read the Serenity Prayer for Families because it is just the truest, truest statement of all time. And it is, God grant me the serenity to accept that I cannot change other people, the courage to change the person that I can, and the wisdom to know that it is me. Mm. I love that. Me too.
0: You guys, thanks for joining us. We look forward to the next episode and hope you all have an awesome week.
1: Share this with someone.